In this podcast, I will be having conversations about where our experience of life comes from. My goal is to support GPs in the overwhelming job that they do. The good news is that you can hang up your superhero cape and let go of needing to be everything to everyone. So today I'm talking to Dr. Rani Bora, who combines her work as a consultant psychiatrist with individual transformative coaching from an inside-out perspective. Rani, welcome to my podcast, Hang Up Your Superhero Cape, which is for busy GPs coping with stress, overwhelm and burnout. One of the elements contributing to this feeling is the difficulty in getting patients seen by mental health services at a time when many are suffering more emotionally following the series of lockdown periods over the past two years. GPs have always been the first port of call for patients struggling with their mental health and have been used to holding them while waiting for some sort of therapeutic intervention. But the increase in numbers waiting and the time on waiting lists has reached a crisis point. How would you suggest that our colleagues cope with the impact on their own mental health as well as that of their patients? Okay, first of all, thank you so much, uh, Joe, for inviting me to to be a guest on your podcast. I think that's a huge privilege, so thank you so much. And I want to start off by acknowledging, um, acknowledging the amazing work that GP colleagues do. I mean, you don't have an easy task at all. I mean, I'm just... Or, or, or only saying things that you guys already know, but I think there's something about really, um, re- really acknowledging that and knowing how much we value, you know, the amazing work that all GPs do. It's it's a you know it's hard being GPs, but I don't know how you do it in ten minutes. But I have full admiration for everything um, GPs do, and because you know, you, like you said, you you guys are the face of health. You know, when people uh, or any difficulty, then people will come to the family doctor, which is a GP. So. Um, and when you were reading all that out, it's, it felt to me like, crikey, you know, I haven't got an answer to that one, you know. <laughs> but at the same time that when you said, like, how can people look after, how can GPs look after themselves? Or what can GPs do? I think, okay, I can speak to that. So I don't have the answer to the challenges that we have got at the moment, like no easy answer. That will take more than half an hour of our time, Joe. I do have <laughs> some ideas, but it won't be very helpful. But I guess, you know, I, I have always been a great advocate about looking after oneself. And so when people say, when I tell people that I'm a psychiatrist and they might say, oh, crikey, that must be very hard because you have to listen to people's problems all day long. And I, I guess, well, you know, I can understand what they're saying. And I think the GPs are in similar places, you know, because no one comes to us when they are really doing well. People come to us when they are really unwell and stuck. And, and so it seems like we have to take on board, you know, we have all stuff going on in our life both you know personal stuff and um and and any health issues if we have any like stress and overwhelm and then we we are then facing people who are bringing their stuff in so there's a lot to take in and if we are not careful we will be you know and especially for those people who are very sensitive and empathetic doctors like very conscientious doctors and really want to do the best for the patients i think we know there's a danger that if we are not careful then we would be taking all this home with us 
So I think the first and foremost is to just um, just listen to ourselves and listen to our own needs and listen to our body and see where we are, check check in with us. And I know that there is this balance, isn't it? We are all you know striving towards work-life balance, which is all airy-fairy. And it, theoretically, you know, we know it there. But again, I know that when it comes to practical, we know that it can be very hard. No matter how disciplined you are, how organized you are, there will be days despite the best of efforts, like, you know, it's, and you have um, a set number of things to do and you don't achieve anything that day because suddenly crisis after crisis, you have to deal with that. So, so for, for me, I can I only speak about me and what I have seen other colleagues say is like so important to have that, that self-compassion and, and look after ourselves. And you, that's a very broad term, isn't it? So what does looking after ourselves mean? But I guess I'm saying that listen to, you know, listen to your body, listen to your own, you know, to what's happening in your own mind and see, do you need a break? Do you just need that, that quick two minutes break, even between patients where you're not staring at the computer, where you're not trying to write another prescription, where you're not just doing another one of the things. And can you, can you really make that a conscious effort in your life to just be? I think for me, it's about when I pause and when I just allow myself to be, it's like I get some extra fuel, certain extra energy and my my thinking settles down because I know that when I'm trying to be too productive and, you know, like it happened today, I had, you know, in mind, that, oh, today is going to be a relaxing day. It's not going to be much. And then suddenly I still haven't, you know, completed all my notes and everything. I know it has to go to another day. Um, so there, there are things that's beyond our control, but what we can look for as in being responsible for our own well-being and listening to our own, you know, our, our own experiences and saying, okay, I think I need a break and just being honest, just being honest and think I need a break. And that could be the starting point, acknowledgement and taking mini breaks. And it could be just maybe you're still at your desk because you can't go outside for a quick walk, but be at your best uh, desk. But you can still close your eyes and just be and take that breath and not think about work, but allow your mind to settle down. That itself could give you the fuel you need just to carry on for that extra half an hour or to see that extra patient that might have ended uh, you know, with you in your office at that time. Does this make sense, Joe? Yeah, yeah, it does make sense, Rani. And um, I know myself, although you know that I'm no longer in clinical practice, certainly I remember those long, long days sitting in front of a computer and patients in and out when it seemed like there wasn't even the opportunity to go and have a comfort break and a quick cup of tea. And I think, you know, that that's become intensified. And there's something about giving ourselves permission, isn't there, just to just to move. Absolutely. You know what? That that was what exactly came to mind when you said move. I've just written down movement, and, and that's, that's interesting, isn't it? The many GPs who are listening to this might have come across the lifestyle lifestyle medicine approach, mm. and I share lifestyle medicine approach a lot with my patients because you know sometimes people just need some quick wins. We all know that, you know, and people, and we know that people are such, especially when it comes to mental health, they're you know, they might be eating the wrong food or they might be sleeping less or they might be 
um, not having any exercise at all. And and so, you know, most of the time, I'm sure their GPs do, as, do that as well, then we advise about lifestyle. But if we are advising people about lifestyle, we also need to see how we are adapting those kind of tiny habits in our own lives. So when you said move, Again, I'm thinking, you know, I have got a standing desk now at home and I know in even in some uh, in, in some of the NHS settings, they have got the standing desk and I see a huge difference when I am standing and and, and sort of uh, doing my work versus when I'm sitting at the computer, sitting at my desk and doing the work on a computer. So even that small thing can help, even stretching a little bit can help. So lifestyle medicine approach can and in very, very tiny ways can be uh, can be useful in uh, for our own well-being so that's for to know and the the main that's out of the six pillars of lifestyle medicine i would say if gps or anyone um, healthcare professionals listening to this wanted to tweak one thing in there and the main thing in their lifestyle i would say get enough sleep prioritize your sleep because if you prioritize your sleep and make that a habit a condition uh, what you'll find is that you are able to deal with things much much better and you're more clear-headed the next day um, than when you are just trying to um, reduce your 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 sleep because you have so many things to catch up with that's definitely my priority and I am um, touch wood, I sleep well, maybe because it's not uh, out of, you know, it just happened. It's because I intentionally prioritize my sleep amongst anything else. Yeah, I would share that approach with you, I have to say. And I know that a lot of people struggle with sleep because they're constantly um, on devices with screens. So they use a computer all day at work, they go home, they're on the laptop, then the phone or their iPad, and even, you know, taking those to bed with them and then wonder why they can't sleep. Yeah, yeah. You'll be surprised, Joe, how many times in my psychiatric consultations uh, when people uh, talk about sleep and wanting a sleeping tablet, I have a, a few questions uh, I ask, but one of the questions that um, even my colleagues like, you know, a, a chuckle when I say that I, I ask this is, do you have a telly in your bedroom? Before, I never used to ask this question and you'll be surprised how many people say yes. And, and you know, it's fascinating. I can go on in that direction, but the, the answer is that one of the tips I give my patients is that please remove the any devices, any and TV from your bedroom because is is not conducive to good health. It's going to make your you know mental health even worse. And if they are really committed to shifting something in their life, they realize that it's not a big deal. You know, initially it might say, "Oh my goodness, you are asking me to take take it away." But we are not asking to you to throw the telly away from your house. You know, we are just saying remove it from your bedroom and keep it somewhere else. And reading a book instead, a old-fashioned um the paperback uh you know that, that that kind of book and how most people say yes i just read one page and then i drift off to sleep this is what we could train a brain you know just fall asleep by reading a a sort of light-hearted book not something very heavy but there are so many other things that we could do but let's start with ourselves because if we then commit to doing something as simple as this 
like an hour before bedtime we are not going to go on our devices and we'll just take a um, book to bed and we read it and then we, when you realize that actually this makes sense and it you know, in, a, in a few weeks time we see the results then what we will do as clinicians we will use our own examples like this to share with our pa with the patients about how to improve sleep Obviously, you know, there's lots of other factors, isn't it? Because we know it like there are sleep disorders and then we know that a lot of medications people are on can cause insomnia. So that's, you know, we are not saying that for everyone is going to work, but at least even if some people do this, they, they are perhaps they're going to sleep a little bit better if uh, compared to if they were, you know, using the devices all the time. So that's what I would say. Yeah. Thanks, Ronnie. And I, th I think you're right that it's so important for us to be role models as well and not to be suggesting to somebody uh, to take measures that we wouldn't be prepared to take ourselves. Yeah. And, yeah, and being able to speak from our own experience of letting go of the devices late at night and taking the TV out of the bedroom um, gives us authenticity, I think. Yeah, absolutely. That's really helpful, actually. Yeah. And I, I suppose it's it's very easy as well sometimes when, um, as GPs, when we've got one person after another after another coming to see us with stress and depression and, and overwhelm, not to take that on, not to absorb it by the end of the day. And that it must be even more like that for you in psychiatry and that you, you haven't got the kind of the things in between that that kind of dilute um that dilutes that mental health kind of um I can't think of my word now having <laughs> having a senior moment. That's okay. <laughs> But I think you probably understand what I mean, don't you? Because everything that all the patients you see have got mental health problems, whereas, you know, we see the odd one with musculoskeletal thing or gyne problems or whatever. Yeah. And sometimes even healthy people like, you know, pregnant women and, you know, cheerful things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I see what you mean, because for us, it's everything is mental health and they only come to us if the GPs have them because the GPs would have tried to help them and it's only they come to us um, when GPs feel like, oh gosh, I have tried enough of this and, you know, I've tried talking therapy, I tried to give them medication, now, um, you know, they're not any better, they're getting worse, so over to you guys. So that's definitely there, but, you know, I I feel very fortunate, you know, you were, you were saying right at the beginning, introducing me, that I combine um, transformative coaching, you know, um, with my psychiatry. And I think that has really helped me immensely because if I were just to do what I was trained to do as a, as a psychiatrist, just like do the assessment, give a diagnosis and, and just look at medication or CBT, um, that would have been very unfulfilling for me. And I would have been feel extremely stressed and not very like, not felt like I had made a lot of difference. Yeah. What I hear in the patient's narratives is much more than just a someone who fits in on a diagnosis, someone who just needs medication or needs a reduction of medication or just needs talking therapy. 
Um, my approach is very, you know, holistic and I, you know, I love listening to people and I have been more, more recently, I've been, you know, experimenting about listening beyond the words. I'm just uh, experimenting, just being with a person without any agenda. And I know it's sometimes tricky because when people come to us, they want us to be, want us to fix them. Say something's wrong with me, doctor, you, you know, fix me. So I, I'll just give you, uh, give you an example of something that I've heard recently, came across recently that GPs might find interesting. And it's nothing to do with uh, our medical knowledge or anything, but it's about listening. Um, there is something called the Human Library uh, that's been uh, in Denmark and a few other countries. And I shared this on LinkedIn. Yeah. It's like instead of borrowing books, um, people um, go to a place where they they get to. Sorry. It's okay. I, I thought I uh, switched off my phone and this is my work phone. So um, I was saying that um, there, there is this uh, opportunity for people to just listen to another person for half an hour without any judgment, without any agenda, just listening to their story um, and, and then just being the space for them. I from what I took from them is more than just what they are describing, because I took from it that everyone wants their experience to be validated. Sometimes they might come to the doctor, not just not because they are wanting a fix, but maybe because they want someone to be non-judgmental and just listen to them. Uh, and sometimes by the whole by the only the process of just speaking, you also get to realize things by for yourself. So. I was wondering if we did, if we can, if you we were given the permission, or if we gave ourselves a permission, like anytime a patient comes to us, we are not going to automatically automatically reach out for the prescription pad, at least for the first couple of uh, one or two um, sessions. We are just, I'm just going to listen to them so that I can really understand them. Obviously, if there's crisis and there are, you know, things that they need to be like dealt with straight away, of course you do that. But, you know, especially with mental health, sometimes if it's not like acute crisis, which the crisis team will be dealing with, or the, you know, you can refer to the mental, um, mental health services. If there's someone who is going through stress and overwhelm and has lots and lots of psychosocial stresses, we all know that the antidepressant is not going to be the, the, the do the magic you know it might have a placebo effect uh, and we know that the evidence says that it works in severe cases not in mild to moderate but then i have seen a lot of times where because we want to be helpful to people we are prescribing medications even when it's only mild case and they are going through lots of stress and overwhelm and there are consequences you know we obviously we have to take informed consent and there will be consequences like in terms of side effects and that kind of thing so that might be needed but what i'm saying is rather than jumping straight to the prescription pad and saying okay this person has come to me they want me to fix them and what do I have? My main tool is um, this prescription pad, then invariably we are going to reach out for that. But if we think about our main tool as the gift of listening, if we think of our main tool as the gift of being non-judgmental and just giving the space for this person to open up, I think we'll have a different experience. I think from that place, our mind will settle down and we might be able to share whatever our wisdom shares with us. Like, you know, it, it could be a lifestyle medicine prescription of something very, very tiny. It could be like, um, I don't know, any anything that comes to our common, you know, comes to our mind then to be of service to the person. 
the the most important thing from there would be that the person will feel hard they will feel that it's a privileged position to be in my doctor listened to me for the 10 minutes and they, they, they did not try to fix me they did not try to just shove down the medication and shut me off they listen i i think when we realize that as human beings we have this gift for listening you know and we also have this intuitive sense that if we sense that something is not right we will we will intervene so if someone comes with mental health problems and you feel that intuitively something is not right you're going to do the blood test or you are going to contact the you know crisis team for example but for the other cases where you feel that okay my intuition is telling me this person is going through a difficult time and they need to be heard we can use the best tool we have been given, this gift of just listening and just being with a fellow person who is suffering. They are going through psychological suffering that every every human being experiences from time to time. To give them this gift of listening could be very invaluable. So that's what comes to mind when you're talking about this, you know, what can doctors do for themselves and what can doctors do for the patients? Because then you're also able to give yourself this gift of listening when there are no patients around and you're just listening to your own heart. You're listening to what your body is telling you about uh, dealing with stress in that moment. Yeah, I, I see you're absolutely right, Rani. And, you know, it may seem to some people as though 10 minutes worth of listening isn't very much, but I think it's the quality of the listening, isn't it? Not the length of time that we listen for. And that patients pick up unconsciously if actually we look like we're listening, but really we're thinking about what we're going to cook for tea tonight. When we, when we really are listening deeply and we're really present to them, yeah. it has a huge impact. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, sometimes I hear people complain that I went to my doctor and um, they immediately gave me this medication. They did not even tell me what it is about and I didn't feel listened to. And I know that the GPs are not doing this intentionally when they have a very stressful day, a very, very busy day. And we all go into the profession that we are in because we care deeply for patients. But if we are feeling ourselves, you know, if you're feeling very, very stressed, then we might just react and say, oh gosh, this, you know, I, this person is, you know, having a difficult time, I'll just give, give them a, give them this prescription. But the other thing that might be going through someone's mind is, I'm so overwhelmed myself, I can't take on any more of this stuff that people are telling me about the problem. So here's a tip. Here is a tip for, that I would like to give people. One of the things that you share, I know, uh, Joe, and I share is about innate health. So the, one of my favorite lines that I share with my patients, if it is suitable, I don't tell everyone this, but I know this in the back of my mind is that I say this, you may be lost, but you are not broken at the fundamental level. So this one is like, it's, it's my foundation of helping people with mental health issues, no matter if they have a diagnosis of schizophrenia, bipolar, or they are just going through stress and overwhelm. I know that at a fundamental level, who they truly are is that, you know, at that deep essence, that core, they can't be broken. You know, trauma can happen, physical health stuff can happen. And in this lifetime, mental health issues can happen. But I'm talking about the core essence of who someone is. And if we just know this for ourselves, like if say, for example, I know this about Rani Bora and I know that, yes, I have my own problems, you know, my weaknesses and all the stuff. And uh, 
but at a very deep level, I am deeply okay. And every, you know, 7.7 .7 billion people, you know, they also are okay at a deep level. Obviously, on a surface level, they might be very, very lost. When we have that understanding and it sits comfortably with us, not because we're intellectually thinking this, but we realize something about the human potential and our true nature, when we are in that space, then we don't freak out when someone is telling us all about their, you know, dark secrets or their difficulties, because we know that they're lost temporarily for however long. But even, you know, what they can't see is their own essence. What these people who are really struggling can't see is their, you know, is, the, is who they truly are. So we don't even tell, need to tell them, oh, but do you not know who you truly are? We don't have to use any of these jargons. It's enough for us to see it for ourselves. When we see that for ourselves, what we'll also be exploring when we listen to them is we will be listening to the untold stories of resilience. Like, wow, all the trauma happened to them, all the stuff are happening to them, and this person is still like doing all these things. So then we have full of awe and admiration for the person sitting. Then if it feels right, then we can also gently point them to their own resilience. That's not coming from outside, that's coming from their own human spirit. And this is what I like, you know, when I think those connections are invaluable. I'm talking about the human connections. I'm not talking about a doctor and a patient um, connection at the moment. I'm talking about the deep level of human connection when we go beyond just being a doctor, beyond need, just needing to sort out this, you know, medication and uh, prescription and, and the blood test and everything, to something profound about just being human and using our gift of listening and being. And you know, you might not do anything, but the patient will say, thank you, doctor, you really helped me. And you say, crikey, I didn't even give you any antidepressant or anything. You know, I didn't even give you anything else, but the, that other person will really feel it because they know that heart, you know, there was this heart to heart connections at some level, although you're still being a GP, although you're still not talking about loving and that kind of thing, just your presence is enough for that person to be felt harder, listened to, and that you had offered them some hope. I think for mental health, it's about hope when people are not feeling any hope. So when they can't see it for themselves, if you can see that and you can offer that space, that's definitely more than enough. Yes, and each patient really feels that, I think. Yeah. And as you say, you don't have to talk about love. You just need to be there, be present and open, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't talk about love. But <laughs> I guess what we are talking about is like bringing that gentleness, you know, bringing that humanness, that, that uh, you know, thing that we all want, the peace of mind. And I think when i mean i was just before this um before this um interview i was talking to a, a patient of mine who's going through a very very difficult time very difficult psychosocial um challenges and then um you know he obviously he wanted to talk about a medication but we, i explored all of this with uh, him and he's constantly have those um suicidal thoughts and then but we we had a conversation of hope because whenever i talk to people i could just say okay what i i could do a risk assessment and a risk management and say do this do that ring helpline but i know that everyone offers that and for me it just made sense to connect at another level 
talk about some of the things that, you know, the small thing that is really going on well in his life, something he really loves, and how the conversation and turn from feeling hopeless to feeling hopeful. And I know, hands on heart, that this person is not going to kill themselves, that they see a possibility. But I, you know, I felt that who I was being with him helped that conversation rather than me thinking, crikey, I need to do this and I need to do that for him. And obviously, I still address the medications thing that he needed, wanted me to address. So I'm not saying don't do any of that. But if you can, out of your, you know, if you think about the 10 minutes as 100 person, if you can even do 80% of listening and, you know, and really going deep and the 20% and sorting out what needs to be sorted out, that 80-20 Pareto's principles could really apply well in mental health. And that is a hugely hopeful message, Rani. It really is. And, and I think um, very helpful advice for my colleagues in general practice. Really is. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I'm inspired by what, you know, by... Um, by what I do, and I think for me, the main uh, the main passion about my work is being with people and yeah. having those conversations, meaningful conversations. Not everyone could be ready, not everyone is ready, but you'll be surprised how many people are ready and just dying for someone to hear them and not give them a label for their suffering. Yeah, yeah. Just connect with them human being to human being. And then everything that else that you need to do, you will do for sure. You know, yeah. no one is saying you don't need to do it. But see, when you come from this place, your consultations will be more meaningful, and it will just it will just make you feel that I know I have made this it made a difference today, even if it's a tiny one. I know I have made a difference because I feel it in myself. Yeah, and and that's going to help with that feeling of overwhelm and burnout isn't it just feeling that connection and and something meaningful about the work really yeah absolutely rather than just churning through patients churning through signing prescriptions churning through reading letters that kind of thing yeah yeah there's always uh, I you know my question is like if I need to do this job how can I make it more fulfilling for me? So I'll say the same to the GP colleagues. Like, if this is your, you know, your choice, because you know, I'm thinking that being a GP is a choice, and you know that there is a hard, you know, there, there are lots of challenges. So I would say, like, given that this is the problem, or given that these are the problems, what would I like to create instead? Who would I like to be instead? How could I make this more meaningful in my life? And you'll be surprised when you ask those questions and just spend some time reflecting on this, you will come up with an answer that speaks to you. And so use that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rani. This has been a lovely conversation and I think it'll be incredibly valuable to my colleagues in general practice. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed our conversation, Joe. Um, and um, thank you again for inviting me. And I do hope that this uh, some some of the conversations we had today is going to just um, spark something in uh, the listener so that they start listening to themselves and start listening to their own wisdom. Thank you.